0: THE WINKING RUBY MYSTERY CHAPTER Six: THE SEAMAN'S CLUE Doris began to pace back and forth nervously in the corridor of the Belasca. Finally, she whispered to Evelyn that they ought to find Captain Dana and bring him to the hypnotist stateroom. I'll do it, said Evelyn, and ran off. Nervously, Miss Dana pulled a handkerchief from her suit pocket and twisted it into a little ball. I SHOULDN'T HAVE ALLOWED LOUISE TO GO THROUGH WITH THIS HYPNOTIST BUSINESS. JEAN TRIED TO APPEAR CALM, BUT NEVER TOOK HER EYES OFF THE DOOR. FERVENTLY, SHE HOPED THAT HER SISTER WOULD WALK OUT UNHARMED. AS MINUTE AFTER MINUTE WENT BY, HOWEVER, JEAN HAD TO FIGHT DOWN A FEELING OF PANIC. HERE COMES YOUR UNCLE, DORIS CRIED IN RELIEF. CAPTAIN DANA WITH EVELYN WAS STRIDING ALONG THE CORRIDOR, A LOOK OF GREAT CONCERN ON HIS FACE. The others knew that he would not wait for an instant to enter the hypnotist quarters. He would march in and demand an explanation. But it was not necessary for him to do this. At that moment the door opened, and Louise stepped into the hallway. She seemed to be all right. Seeing her family and friends she smiled. Thank goodness you're here exclaimed the three girls in unison. Are you all right? Aunt Harriet asked her niece anxiously. If you're not, said Uncle Ned grimly, those two inside are going to answer to me and I'll... He broke off and started toward the Dottie's door. Louise put a restraining hand on the captain's arm. Really, Uncle Ned, I'm fine, she chuckled. And I enjoyed being hypnotized. By the way, what did I say while I was asleep? The others looked at her in amazement. Then Louise gave a big wink and invited them all to come with her. Wondering what Louise had in mind, the Danas and their friends followed her to Uncle Ned's quarters. They seated themselves in comfortable wicker chairs and waited for her to begin. "'Please don't look so worried, Aunt Harriet,' she began with a laugh. "'I actually was never in a hypnotic state.' "'What?' Doris exclaimed. "'Even when you didn't move, you were only pretending.' "'That's right,' said Louise. "'I admit that at one time, "'when Enrique Doty was waving that flashlight around and around, "'it started to make me feel a little drowsy.' "'Jean wagged her head. "'Well, sis,' she said, "'you certainly put on a good act. "'You had me almost convinced.' "'I'll say she did,' Evelyn spoke up. "'I was scared out of my wits.' "'At this, Doris nodded vigorously in agreement.' Then she begged, Tell us what happened after we left the room. Louise said she was sorry to have frightened the group, but the young sleuth had realized that she would never learn anything important from the Dotties while the others were in the room. So I pretended to go into a still deeper sleep, she explained. Everything worked out perfectly, of course, and I knew that I was taking an awful chance, but Louise admitted, Incidentally, since I apparently did fool Enrique and Lena, I'll say they're very amateurish at this hypnotism business. I doubt that they've had any real training. Captain Dana frowned. In this case, it will be the Dottie's last trip on the Belasca. Well, go on with your story after the others had left the room louise said that Enrique and lena had debated whether or not they should bring her out of the hypnotic state immediately lena had said no that they should find out all they could first her husband had agreed then they asked what the purpose of my trip to europe was I told them that people thought I was trying to solve a mystery, but that actually we girls had friends in England that we were just going to have lots of fun with sightseeing with them. Doris gave a great sigh. I wish that were true, she exclaimed. Then what happened? Louise replied that the hypnotist wanted to know where else the Danas were going to travel, and that she had answered, wherever fancy leads us. But finally, Louise went on, the couple got around to the big question. They asked me why we had quizzed them about Gino and Carlo. It took me a little longer to figure out how to throw them off the track on this one. But at last, I told them, Well, Gino isn't married, and my uncle knows a wonderful girl named Cora Apple. My sister and I thought we might go and get them together. Since Gino is ill, I guess that's out of the question. I do wish he'd get well so we could arrange a meeting. At this, everyone in the room burst into laughter, and Jean said, Applecore of all people! How could you keep a straight face, Lou? Uncle Ned boomed, Louise, I didn't know you had such imagination. Louise smiled and paused in her storytelling. As her listeners leaned forward expectantly, Evelyn urged, Go on, don't stop, please. There's not much more, Louise replied. They questioned me again about Carlo, but of course I insisted I didn't know anybody by that name. Then finally, Lena said, We'd better bring this girl back to conscious state. Her family may become suspicious. They both began telling me that I was waking up, and Enrique even tried some hocus-pocus gibberish. I almost gave myself away by laughing at him. Finally, when I thought it was the right moment, I opened my eyes and got up. The Dotties must have believed me, so here I am. I think you're simply wonderful, cried Doris, rushing over to give Louise a big hug. Aunt Harriet was wiping away a few tears of relief. She said nothing, just smiled at her niece proudly. Captain Dana suggested that the whole episode become a closed subject. It might cause trouble if the Dotties ever hear that Louise was acting. Yes, said Jean. They certainly were snoopy about our plans. I wonder why. Then she giggled. Right now, thanks to you and Louise, the Dotties probably think we're the world's worst detectives. Let's let them continue to think so. All right, Louise agreed, but I want to go with our sleuthing right away. "'Uncle Ned, I'd like to question the crew about the snake and about Gino. "'When would be a good time?' "'Captain Dana said that at the moment a movie was being shown in the crew's recreation quarters. "'Suppose you and Jean come here at ten o'clock and I'll take you down there. "'When the picture is over, you can question the men.' "'At ten o'clock the sisters met their uncle. "'Together they walked down the lower deck. "'The motion picture was about to end.' As the lights were turned on, Captain Dana arose and introduced his nieces. "'They'd like to ask you a few questions,' he announced. Louise inquired if any of the crew could give her information which might help stir the violinist's memory. "'Or,' she added, "'did any of you ever hear Gino refer to a winking ruby or somebody named Carlo?' But the men responded to her queries with a murmur of nose and head-shaking. I have one more question, Louise said. You may have heard that someone delivered a wicker basket containing a snake to my sisters in my cabin. Did any of you see a person with such a basket? A young seaman stood up. I can answer that one, he said. When I was coming aboard, a man stopped me and asked if I would do him a favor. He said, I'm in a hurry, and I suppose I need to deliver this basket to Mrs. "'Louise and Jean Dana in room 326. "'Can you take it for me?' "'So I told him, yes, I would. "'I put it in your cabin, miss. "'I didn't know there was a snake in the basket, honest.' "'I'm sure you didn't,' said Louise. "'Will you please describe the man who handed you the basket?' "'Well, there wasn't anything special about him,' the seaman replied. "'He did have red hair, though.' "'Louise's pulse quickened. "'Here was a real clue.' Was the red-haired man she had seen on the dock named Carlo? Was he the person to whom Gino Marzi had referred? And most important of all, was it the Dotties to whom he was signaling? "'Thank you very much,' said Louise. After Uncle Ned and the girls had left the recreation quarters, Jean whispered to her uncle that she thought there was enough suspicion against the hypnotist to have them watched.' Why, they may even have the Winking Ruby in their possession, she said excitedly. Uncle Ned, would it be possible to have their rooms searched? Captain Dana patted his niece's shoulder. Now calm down, Mahardies, he said. You're walking the plank blindfolded. I couldn't possibly have the Dotties' rooms searched without any concrete evidence. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll have the ship's detective keep an eye on them. You have a detective on board? Jean asked with interest. Oh, I'd love to meet him. Captain Dana smiled. No one on board but myself knows who this detective is. This, the steamship company engages a new one for each trip so that none of the passengers can possibly stop him. Louise laughed. That's very clever, Uncle Ned, she said. Maybe Jean and I would make more progress if no one knew we were sleuthing. "'Don't let that worry you,' her uncle said. "'I'm sure ninety-five percent of the people on board don't know it, "'and the other percent, except us, "'don't know what good detectives my nieces really are.' "'The girls chuckled and made mock bows. "'Then Louise said, "'You know, the Dotties may be practicing hypnotism "'to cover up some racket they're mixed up in. "'If it's not on the ship, it may be in Europe or America.' Captain Dana smiled. You will insist upon making a lot out of this, but I won't take any chances. I'll notify the British police to watch the Dotties from the moment they disembark. After breakfast the next morning, Evelyn reminded the other girls that this was the day that the ping-pong tournament would begin, and the first match, she and Jean would be partnered against Louise and Doris. At ten o'clock, the girls hurried on deck and were assigned two tables. There was a good-sized crowd on hand and three other groups playing, two for single matches and another for doubles. I feel lucky, Jean called across the net. Here goes. She sent a blazing serve, which Doris missed. Jean's play held a high level throughout the three games. She and Evelyn won two of them and were told they would meet their next opponents, a bride and groom, early that afternoon. As the game began, Louise and Doris watched it from the rail. The play was fast. Presently, Louise noticed Rosamond Lemur walking towards the ping-pong area. Seeing Louise, the singer came up to her. "'Good afternoon,' she said. "'I am glad I found you. I've just heard something that may be of great interest to you.' "'Please tell me,' Louise said. "'But first, I'd like you to meet my friend, Doris Harland.' Miss Lemure acknowledged the introductions, and then leaned close to Louise and whispered, "'My gossipy room-steward just told me that there's a woman on board named Mrs. Kraken. She has a ring very much like the one I lost.' "'That is interesting,' said Louise. "'Miss Kraken doesn't wear the ring,' Miss Lemure continued. The steward said he saw her looking at it furtively. She had taken it from a secret compartment in her jewel case. Louise was intrigued by the story. Did he say any more? she asked. The singer went on. The steward said that the ruby glinted so brightly it seemed to wink. That made me think of your question about the winking ruby. Well, I must hurry along now. After thanking Miss Muir and saying goodbye, Louise became lost in thought Maybe Mrs. Kraken was the person to whom the red-haired man on the deck had been signaling. And could her ruby be the one which Gino Marzi had referred? Louise wondered. CHAPTER Seven: THE SECRET COMPARTMENT Louise was snapped out of her reverie by the referee's shout of twenty-one. The ping-pong match was over. Louise and Dora smiled broadly. The winners, Jean, Dana, and Evelyn Starr. The referee announced, and the losers came around the table to shake their hands. Louise and Doris rushed up to congratulate them. The winners laughed, and Jean remarked, Well, we're still in the tournament. I wonder who our next opponents will be. The four girls went into the lounge to look at the draw sheet on the wall. Another doubles match had just been concluded, and the winners' names were being entered in the next bracket. When Evelyn saw the names Laura Goodwin and Susan Powers, she groaned good naturedly. Uh these people will have to play tomorrow morning, Jean, and I hear they're among the best doubles players on board ship. Jean smiled. Evelyn, if you play as well in this next match as you did today, we'll mow them down. When Louise told her a little later about the conversation between herself and Rosa the Lemure, Jean whistled. I hope we can meet this Mrs. Kraken. I'd like to see that winking ruby ring. I was thinking the same thing, Louise replied with a smile. Let's ask Uncle Ned to introduce us. They found Captain Dana in the office of his quarters. He was interested in the story, but annoyed with the room steward for gossiping. I'll have him reprimanded, he said sternly. Not about the ring, for he unwittingly may have helped you, but— on gossiping in general. He picked up the phone and called Mrs. Kraken's stateroom. She answered at once. To Uncle Ned's request that they would like to call with his nieces, she replied effusively, Oh, how perfectly charming. This is a great honor, Captain. I'll expect you about half an hour before dinner. One thing's for sure, Louise remarked as her uncle hung up. Mrs. Kraken doesn't seem worried about why we're calling. She certainly didn't act startled or as if she had knowledge to conceal. Captain Dana's eyes twinkled. Well, my he said, I have a feeling that this time you're off course. When the girls met their uncle later, Louise wore a pale green white striped dress. Jean's frock was of red and white flowered material. Captain Dana knocked on the door of Mrs. Kraken's stateroom. It was opened by a slightly plump woman of medium height. She wore an attractive pale blue brocade evening dress. Do come in, she invited, smiling at the callers. Mrs. Kraken was very gracious, but the Danas found out that she talked incessantly. Within five minutes after her arrival, the girls and their uncle had learned that she was a widow, and had inherited quite a bit of money, had traveled a great deal, and did not believe in getting in her children's way. Although she was an American, the woman thought that Paris was the only place in the world to live. "'You're wearing beautiful and unusual jewelry, Mrs. Kraken,' Jean remarked admiringly, when the woman finally paused. "'I suppose that since you travel a great deal—' You bought these lovely pieces in various parts of the world. Yes, I have, Mrs. Kraken agreed. She arose and went to open the door to the corridor. It's rather close in here, don't you think? Louise, concerned that the conversation might be overheard by anyone in the passengerway, suggested that it might be just as pleasant if the air conditioner were turned on and the door kept closed. Mrs. Kraken shook her head violently, opened the door, and— "'and hooked it back. "'I hate air conditioners. "'They give me a stuffy nose.' "'Turning back, she went to the bureau "'and opened the top drawer. "'Rummaging under some lingerie, "'she brought out a large red velvet box. "'Mrs. Kraken held it open "'so that her visitors could see the contents. "'More beautiful jewelry,' exclaimed Jean. "'I adore every piece.' Mrs. Kraken remarked, as she lifted up what proved to be a false button. Beneath was a ring box. Taking this out, the woman opened it. Look at this, she said. The three visitors found themselves staring at the most gorgeous ruby ring they had ever seen. Oh, Louise gasped, I've never seen anything so exquisite. Jean and Uncle Ned, too, expressed their admiration. Mrs. Kraken, Louise said, "'Is this, by any chance, called a winking ruby?' She and Jean watched the woman intently to see if she showed any signs of alarm. They could detect none, and Mrs. Kraken replied immediately, "'If it is, I was never told that. I recently purchased the ring in New York.' She gave a satisfied chuckle. "'I got it at a real bargain, too.' Reaching into the bureau drawer, she drew out her handbag. Mrs. Kraken thumbed through it jumbled contents and brought out a bill of sale. She showed it to her visitors, who blinked rapidly. Five thousand dollars! As Mrs. Kraken returned the paper to her purse, she went on, "'This business of having to show bills of sale when you enter a country is all tommy-rot.' Why can't a person go from place to place without being bothered by customs? Now, Captain Dana, couldn't you do something about it? Uncle Ned was taken by surprise. Then, as usual, happened when he found himself in a ridiculous situation, the captain roared with laughter. I'd like to oblige you, ma'am, but I'm afraid even an international lawyer couldn't decide that problem." He cleared his throat and arose, indicating that the call was at an end. Secretly, Louise and Jean felt that their uncle wanted to escape before he might be asked any more impossible questions. "'I must hurry off,' he said. "'But your girls stay a bit longer if you like. I'll see you at dinner.' "'Very pleasant call,' Mrs. Cracken said." "'We should go, too,' said Jean, feeling that the girls had learned all they could." She and Louise told Mrs. Kraken that they were delighted to have met her and hoped she would enjoy the voyage. "'But don't you think,' Louise added, "'that you're taking a chance leaving your jewelry in this cabin. Perhaps you ought to put the case in the ship's safe.' "'I suppose I should. But I love them so I want to keep them with me and look at them often.' Suddenly she grasped Louise's arm. "'That winking ruby you mentioned,' she exclaimed. I DO REMEMBER ONCE WHEN I WAS IN ITALY I HEARD THAT PHRASE USED ABOUT A GEM. A GEM? THE DANAS THOUGHT. THIS DEFINITELY ESTABLISHED THE WINKING RUBY AS A GEM. OH, ME, SAID MRS. Kraken, I WISH I COULD REMEMBER MORE ABOUT THE STONE. MAYBE I COULD BUY IT. I WISH TOO, SAID LOUISE, THAT YOU COULD RECALL MORE ABOUT IT. A WINKING RUBY SOUNDS FASCINATING. I'D LIKE TO SEE ONE. Secretly, she was excited. There was another clue. Italy, this time, the homeland of the Marzies. Louise turned towards her sister to find her near the doorway, staring into the corridor. Suddenly, Jean called, "Goodbye, Mrs. Kraken,' and left hurriedly. "'I wonder what Jean is up to,' Louise thought, as she shook hands with Mrs. Kraken and stepped into the corridor. She caught sight of her sister hurrying up the hallway. Ahead of her was Lena Dottie, Puzzled, Louise quickly caught up to Jean. "'What happened?' she asked. Jean said that Mrs. Dottie had been standing outside Mrs. Cracken's door. I couldn't tell whether she was eavesdropping or just passing by. Anyway, I thought I'd better do a little eavesdropping of my own. Mrs. Dotty entered her own cabin and closed the door. Louise and Jean paused outside and listened. There was not a sound from within. Jean said in a low voice, either Enrique Dottie isn't there, or his wife didn't learn anything about Mrs. Kraken's ruby ring to pass along to him. Perhaps she wasn't eavesdropping, Louise suggested. Let's go. The Dana started toward their own deck to pick up Aunt Harriet, Evelyn, and Doris. Halfway there, they were suddenly thrown off balance and slammed against one side of the corridor, In a moment, the ship swung the other way, and the girls found themselves clutching the opposite wall. "'A roll!' exclaimed Louise, catching her breath. "'A big one!' said Jean, as she was thrown back to the other side. "'I guess we've run into stormy weather.' Though the ship continued to pitch and roll, the girls soon found their sea-legs, and were able to sway from side to side with the motion of the belasca, as Captain Dana had taught them as children." "'Aunt Harriet won't like this,' Louise prophesies. Entering Miss Dana's cabin, the sisters found their aunt laying on the bed. She looked very pale. "'I—I don't feel well, girls. Hope you're doing better.' "'We're all right,' Jean assured her. "'Is there anything we can get you?' Miss Dana shook her head. "'Thank you, no. I'll just lie here. I'll be all right. But I don't feel like eating.' Louise and Jean went to the neighboring stateroom. Doris and Evelyn, though they were not laying down, declared they were beginning to feel a bit squeamish. "'I don't think we'll be having dinner,' Evelyn said with a grimace. As Louise and Jean walked out, they decided that some fresh air would keep them from feeling ill. "'Let's walk outside,' Louise suggested. When they reached the windswept deck, they were fascinated by the stormy sea. The water was leaden gray.' The waves were high and crested with crashing whitecaps. As the Danas walked, they came to the closed-off section where the ping-pong tables had been. All the equipment had been taken inside, as well as the deck-chairs. No one was around, but a moment later they saw an elderly man clutching the rail and moving to their direction. "'That's Professor Jensen,' said Louise. "'Maybe we can help him.' THE TWO GIRLS TRIED TO HURRY TOWARDS THE PROFESSOR. THEY HAD ALMOST REACHED HIM. WHEN THE SHIP GAVE A TREMENDOUS LURCH, THE TWO GIRLS WERE THROWN OFF BALANCE AND SPRAWLED ONTO THE DECK. AT THE SAME INSTANT PROFESSOR JENSEN LOST HIS GRASP ON THE RAILING AND PITCHED FORWARD. HIS HEAD HIT A STEEL stanchion, AND HE FELL TO THE DECK UNCONSCIOUS.